Welcome to the First Take Podcast with Virginia Lee, Simon King, and myself, Michael Flanagan. On this week's episode, we discuss breakthrough clinical data for Intellia's in vivo gene editing therapy, U.S. approval of Janssen and Legend Biotech's Carvicti for the treatment of multiple myeloma, and how developers are gearing up to launch biosimilar Humira products in the U.S. market next year. Please like, subscribe, and thanks for listening. had a couple of major events in the gene editing space this week. Let's start with Intellia's updated clinical readout for their ATTR candidate. Virginia, what's the significance of the new data? So this latest readout from Intellia is a boost to sentiment around the potential durability of a systemically delivered in vivo gene editing therapy. If we rewind to last year, Intellia was the first company to report clinical data from an in vivo CRISPR program, and that was early data from the phase one study of NTLA-2001 for translatein amyloidosis. At the time, those data from the first six patients showed significant reductions in serum TTR levels and no major safety concerns like off-target effects, which was promising, but the open question was how durable that effect would be and whether NTLA-2001 could really be a one-time treatment. Um, and this week they demonstrated that the reduction in serum TTR levels is holding up so far. They presented data from 15 patients this time showing a dose-dependent reduction up to 93% in the highest dose group. And they showed that these serum TTR reductions were maintained in the two to 12 month follow-up period post-treatment. So that was really good news for Intellia and for in vivo programs in general. And Intellia has a second in vivo therapy in phase one, two testing now for hereditary angioedema. And then looking ahead, Editas is also presenting some updated data from its in vivo program later this year for a congenital form of blindness. So those are a couple events to look forward to. Just after those in vivo data were reported, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office made a major ruling over some key CRISPR patents. So what's the latest update uh, in this CRISPR patent saga? So on Monday, the USPTO ruled that CRISPR patents covering the use of CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing technology in eukaryotic cells belong to the Broad Institute of Harvard and MIT, and not to the opposing group in this case that's collectively known as the CVC. That includes the regents of the University of California, the University of Vienna, and Emmanuel Charpentier, who, along with UC Berkeley's Jennifer Doudna, won the Nobel Prize in 2020 for their work on CRISPR. So this has been a years-long battle, and the University of California said it's considering options to challenge the decision. So this isn't the end of it yet. And the decision as it stands has major implications for companies, including Intellia, that license their CRISPR platforms from, the, from these institutions. So Editas has exclusive rights to the Broad Institute patents, while Intellia and CRISPR Therapeutics have exclusive rights to the CVC patents. And so far, both CRISPR and Intellia have said this latest decision won't impact their current R&D plans. Um, but if the decision holds, both companies will likely have to re renegotiate licensing agreements with the Broad Institute and or with Editas down the line. And another possibility is that the Broad Institute and the CVC could create a non-exclusive joint licensing pool. And that's an idea that the Broad has sought for some time. They said in a statement on Monday 
that they're optimistic about that idea. So things are a bit up in the air right now for companies involved, but given some of the promising early data so far, I think it's more a matter of companies having to negotiate new licenses rather than terminating clinical programs. And then meanwhile, um, there's a whole new crop of companies emerging now working on newer versions of CRISPR technology. So this ongoing legal battle is over the CRISPR-Cas9 system, but there's a number of companies leveraging novel enzymes like Cas12 and Cas13, others working on different editing techniques altogether. And I don't think that work is going to slow down as a result of this week's decision. The FDA approved Janssen and Legend Biotech's Carvicti earlier this week as a later line treatment for multiple myeloma. It's the second BCMA targeting CAR-T product to reach the market in this indication. So Michael, why is it such big news? Yeah, so I think it's fair to say that this will be considered one of the more noteworthy new drug approvals of the year for several reasons. Uh, first up, there's there's a fair amount of interest in CAR T therapies in general, despite this not you know no longer being the the newest hottest modality on the block with things like you know CRISPR making moves. Um, but at least as interesting is going to be the competition between anti-BCMA CAR-Ts, which will now get going in earnest with J&J and Legend on one side, and then on the other, the incumbent, Bristol-Myers Squibb's uh, Abecma, which was approved about a year ago. So the data that have emerged so far seem to suggest uh, that Carvicti is, you know, it's pretty darn impressive. Notably, they have a 98% response rate in heavily pretreated multiple myeloma patients which has prompted uh, Janssen to describe the product as, quote, the best multiple myeloma therapy out there, which obviously that's, you know, fighting words from the perspective of BMS. But the, you know, the fact is that Carvicti's data really do look to be better. Uh, and that speaks to the idea that CAR-T therapies using, you know, the same target can be designed in different ways, resulting in different efficacy and safety profiles. So then thirdly, uh, you also have the angle that this product was first discovered and initially developed by a little known Chinese biotech, little known at the time. Um, And this becomes all the more relevant given all the recent hubbub and discussion about the use of Chinese clinical data to support US approval of cancer therapies. So Carvicti doesn't necessarily change that narrative because the initial data in Chinese patients was subsequently replicated in a study that enrolled patients in the U.S. and Japan. In fact, if anything, that adds a data point in favor of the utility of Chinese clinical trial data. Uh, But more, perhaps more importantly, the, the product clearly speaks volumes about the innovation coming out of the Chinese biopharma sector at the moment. And then finally, Approval of the product is also a timely reminder of how the attitude of big pharma companies potentially tapping into this innovation has evolved over the past few years with uh, deal-making having become commonplace now. Uh, Senior management at Janssen told us that they attracted a lot of skepticism back in 2017 when they in-licensed global co-development rights for Carvicti from Legend. Uh, the 350 million certainly seemed like a lot to pay up front, and the data were early and almost seemed too good to be true. But it's a move that has clearly uh, paid off, with Janssen now hoping they can broaden the approval of Carvicti 
and ultimately position it as a first-line treatment option and potential alternative to bone marrow transplants. And next year, we will see biosimilar versions of Humira enter the market in the U.S. AbbVie's product generated around $17 billion in the U.S. market alone in 2021, so the entry of biosimilar products is viewed as a major cost-saving opportunity. What are the latest developments there? So in the past week, both Pfizer and Alvatech have confirmed that the FDA has accepted their regulatory applications to support interchangeability status for their respective biosimilar Humira products. Uh, there are a few things to note here. Um, Pfizer's biosimilar was originally approved by the FDA back in 2019 and is due to launch in November next year. So they're seeking a supplementary designation whilst Alvatech is applying for approval and interchangeability status together. One biosimilar Humira product, which has been developed by Boehring Ingelheim, has already been approved by the FDA as interchangeable. So taking the Pfizer application into account, it looks pretty likely that at least two of the eight Humira biosimilar products that are set to launch in 2023 will be interchangeable, which is in line with the assumptions that AbbVie has shared with Wall Street. And what exactly does interchangeable status mean? So in short, it means that in some states, pharmacists will be able to automatically substitute branded Humira for an interchangeable biosimilar version without any input from the prescribing physician. Quite what impact this is going to have on the market is unclear, however. As I mentioned before, AbbVie's already said that they expect two interchangeable products to launch in 2023, and they've inferred that this could help push pricing down. Payers that we've spoken to have said interchangeable biosimilars will make switching patients from the branded drug easier, but they also think that aggressive discounting will play as big, if not a bigger role, in positioning some biosimilar Humira products as favoured agents over others. We're also expecting to see AbbVie rebate aggressively to retain formula repositioning for branded Humira, but on the other hand, they are expecting profits from the drug to decline by around 45% next year in the US. When we surveyed physicians who prescribed Humira last year, around two thirds said that they thought interchangeable biosimilars will be positively differentiated and therefore potentially prescribed more frequently as a result. And with its products, Alvatech actually hopes to go one step further it says that it's the only company to have developed a biosimilar version of the higher dosage citrate-free version of Humira that currently accounts for around 80% of branded prescriptions in the US. Um, this biosimilar product is still not approved and legal action with AbbVie is ongoing. So we don't actually know when the Alvatech drug is um, going to launch. It, it may have a unique uh, commercial profile, but it's really gonna take sometime even after the initial wave of biosimilar Humira launches in 2023 to know what that exactly means for the market. <laughs>